From lifestyle, fitness, beauty, travel, relationships, and self-care, Steph's got you covered. Welcome to your safe space, where you can stop what you're doing, relax, and let someone else do the heavy lifting for once. This is the Luxury Dropout Podcast with your host, Stephanie Joplin. What's up, fellow dropouts? It's Stephanie Joplin here for the Luxury Dropout Podcast. I hope that you're having a great day today. We have a amazing guest as usual. Today we have Logan Reed on the podcast. Logan and I met through her father, Chris Reed, who passed in 2019 in a freak accident. I'll be honest. I want you to hear more on the podcast, but she and I have become close friends. And over the years, we have spoken about grief. We have spoken about motherhood as she became a mother to her beautiful daughter, Charlie. We have spoken about starting our own businesses, working from home, creating your own income, being your own boss. And so I really think you're going to enjoy and be touched deeply by this episode. It is a little bit of a tearjerker, obviously, but I think it's important to talk about this extremely important pillar in our community and his beautiful daughter. And she really has gone out on a limb here to speak out about her father's passing for the first time. And he truly was someone who was so important to the Houston community and beyond. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Logan Reed. Welcome back to the Luxury Dropout Podcast. Today, I have a very special guest with me. Welcome, Logan Reed, to the podcast, everyone. Hi, Logan. How are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for coming on and spending time with me. Of course. Thank you for having me. I am super flattered. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I am flattered that you accepted. I told you this last time we spoke when I invited you on the podcast. I've been gently stalking you for a couple of years because of many reasons. Firstly, you're just absolutely stunning. You're such a beautiful mom. You light up a room. You have great energy. But I want to tell the audience how we met. And that is through your dad, Chris Reed. Right. And your dad is not with us anymore, but he was an absolute inspiration to so many people. And that was incredibly evident in his passing. So we'll go into more about your dad in a little bit, but can you talk to us a little bit about your dad and what kind of a dad he was and all of those things that you and I spoke about before over the internet when we were talking about him? Can you touch on that a little bit? Okay. So my dad was the most involved father you could ever imagine. I mean, he coached every single sporting event I had other than cheerleading because he was not about that but he was at every game. I mean, he was so involved, the most involved dad ever. And I mean, he was the kind of person that believed in me so much and to the point where I couldn't help but believe in myself. Like I had so much worth. I had so much to offer the world. And that was that I was just going to become this amazing person. Like he just spoke, like manifested it for me almost like just spoken into my ears every day to the point where like, I mean, growing up, I felt pretty cocky. Like I felt like, yeah, like I own this, you know, like he just makes you feel like you can be anybody you want to be, no matter who you are, where you came from, whatever. I mean, he was an amazing dad. He was always there. If I needed a shoulder to cry on, if I wanted to celebrate something happy, he was there. And that's the kind of dad he was. And apparently, which I didn't really even know until he passed and people started kind of coming out of the woodworks and telling me their stories and their personal experiences with him, that he was very similar to everybody else. And he was a very good father figure or just a mentor to those, especially those that lacked self-esteem or financial means, or they just struggled with life or they had substance abuses. Like he loved working with those underdogs and with those people who were struggling because I don't know, I think maybe he struggled back then. I don't know, but he just was gravitated toward those people and he really changed their lives. I don't know a single person that met him that they didn't say, wow, like I went to college because of him or wow, I started my business because of him or I got out of bed because of him. That must be amazing to hear about your father. It's amazing. It helps the grief process significantly. I bet. So the way I met Chris was I was a former MMA journalist and I was mm-hmm. assigned to interview him for one of his fights that he had locally here for a legacy fighting championship. 
and I attended the fight. And of course I was always rooting for him and it was just his hobby. Right. Right. What did you think when your dad was like, Hey, I'm going to go fight MMA. Like, what did you think about that? So I was fairly young. Well, so he started with judo. He started with the whole, that scene. And I thought it was cool. I mean, I didn't really think anything of it. And then all of a sudden he's like, oh, this mixed martial arts. And I'm like, what, UFC? He's like, it's not UFC, Logan. It's MMA. It's mixed martial (laughs) arts. And I'm like, okay. And then, you know, I see pictures and stuff of him training. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is hardcore. Right? Because he was like a heavier guy. He was always at least 200 pounds or above. Right. But he was a wrestler background and he was really good at wrestling and grappling and being on the ground. Like yep. he didn't want to be up in boxing. He wanted to be on the ground. He wanted to do takedowns. The best way to do that, you don't want to fight in the heavier classes. I'm sure you know all this, you know? So he's like dieting so hardcore. I remember there'd be days before his fight and all he would eat is like celery and bell peppers. And then he'd have this people come over and do the little like water IVs to help him stay hydrated. Cause he's like, swishing water in his mouth and spitting it out. I'm like, oh my God, this yeah. is horrible. It's hardcore. So hardcore. Yeah. Yeah. So I only went to one fight because I was not a fan. No, <laughs> no. It's hard to watch people you love fight. It's really hard. Yeah. And weird about it is I wasn't ever really worried about him. You would think like, oh, that's why I didn't want to see somebody punch him or hurt him. And I think it's just because I always saw him as some like superhero, somebody who could just not be touched or defeated. Right. Even though he had lost a fight or two, but like, I just thought he was so invincible. I was always worried about the other person and I just didn't want to watch him like kick somebody's ass. Like I was terrified of it. I was like, I'm like cringing. And I'm like, I always had faith in my dad. I always thought he was going to win every fight. I just couldn't watch the gruesomeness of it. I, you know, I was always (laughs) stand on standby waiting to hear if he won or not, but wasn't a fan of going to those. Definitely. Oh my God. That's so funny. I didn't know that you only went to one fight. Yeah. That's funny. Mm. I've watched a few like live in a way, but I was just kind of like this the whole time. Like, mm. yeah. And then he also refereed a lot of fights yes. as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. He loved doing that. I didn't go any of those. That was when I went to college. So I was oh, always okay. away from home. Okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. And they were in another place, like it'd be in Louisiana or wherever, where he'd be. But Right, right. So just to go into let the audience know, your dad had a lot of hats. He was the chief of police for Kima mm-hmm. PD, which is Kima mm-hmm. is basically like a another area of Houston, kind of a little bit further away near the water mm-hmm. for those who don't know where, where Kima is. Yeah. And he was on the board of CCISD, right? He was like, The education, yeah. Education, exactly. Pillar of his community. Like Uh you said, helper of the underdog, helper of anyone who needed a hand. And me personally, I went through a lot of bullying in the mixed martial arts community. Everybody was saying they were just talking shit because I was young. I was a girl. I was pretty. Yeah, they're probably just being nasty. I feel like that. Yeah. Some of the men can be. Yeah. Yeah. That's why he never really wanted me to be around because he was like, they don't have filters and they will they go out for you. They don't. Like I actually had a guy who solicited me to hang out with me, basically to sleep with me. And I basically told him to fuck off. And yeah. then he spread a rumor about me that I was racist, that I was sleeping with everybody. La 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 la. And so that's when your dad kind of stepped in and he was Good. Like, he literally was like, never let anybody tell you who mm-hmm. you are. Right? right. Like, you know who you are. You're not a slut. You're not a racist. Why are you letting them tell you that? So that stuck with me. And that's something I say even today. So can you walk me through what happened to your dad and the events that led up to his passing? So it was Friday afternoon and he was chief of police. He was working over in Kima and he had half days most Fridays because that's just how he did it at Kima. A lot of people would get off early. He liked having that available for everybody. And his favorite thing to do, cause it was June is go fishing. He just got a boat months before that. I don't really remember how, cause I wasn't living at home really or anything. I was around, but I was dating somebody at the time. So I was living with him and it was just like any other day, him and my mom planned to go out on the boat that afternoon, you said early afternoon. And so 
they did. They got it. My mom, you know, packed the cooler. They got ready. They got on a boat and I was going to meet them eventually. And a couple of events occurred to where I kept getting kind of pushed back to the time I was supposed to meet them. Okay. So then they just kind of kept going out. And now that everything's happened, I sometimes wonder like, did that happen for a reason? But anyway, so they were out and about on the boat fishing. My dad loved to fish. My mom just sat out there on the back laying out. She loves to suntan. If you haven't ever seen her, I mean, she is brown. She is so tan. She's just reading her book. Eventually they're kind of riding along. I don't know. Cause I wasn't really there, but a big barge, you know, one of those big travel channel boats drove by growing well over the speed limit and creating incredibly massive wakes. I don't know if you've ever seen YouTube videos of wake surfing, of course. but they're enormous and they're not meant for little tiny fishing boats. Like the one my parents were on Yeah, to endure or to just out of nowhere. And, and that's basically what happened. One just kind of got them off track. And my mom said, Chris, I'm scared because it was getting really rough and choppy. And the boat was just like hitting bricks. It sounded like, and he said something like Janet, it's going to be okay. And then a second later, he was ejected off the boat. And my dad was the strongest man I knew. I mean, he'd been caught on fire. He'd been shot in the line of duty. Yeah. I mean, he survived so many things and he's the strongest, toughest human I know. So I know that those waters had to have been something incredible. Like, I mean, something nobody could have survived because it's shocking that he didn't. But the waves were rushing. My mom got the boat, like got back on the steering wheel, reversed it back, tried to find, you know, wherever you know, it was because, you know, when you're out in the water, you have no idea where you are, where the last thing is just water. And then she sees his head come up and she tries to help him by throwing a safety rope. And he was unable to get his arms out from the current and another big weight went over his head and then he went back under. And I can't imagine your mom. Yeah. He said something. I can't reach. I can't get it. Can't get my arms out of the water. It's been really hard on all of us kids and just everyone in general, but I can't even imagine the burden that she holds having to actually physically witness it. And that's why I feel like she's even mentioned, like, I feel like it was meant to be that you weren't on that boat that day, or you weren't able to make it because I know without a doubt, because I grew up swimmer, very strong swimmer, I swim in college. She would have said, Logan, like jump in, like, go get them, like go. And I would have, I would have never thought a second. She's like, you could have been gone too. Like, yeah. And so it's just crazy. It was a, a wild day. I was, I was on the highway headed to their house and to meet. And my mom calls me and she's just ca- like screaming hysterically, you know, just screaming his name over and over. And I'm like, and it's on my dad's phone. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? Like, can you calm down? What's going on? I have no idea what's going on. And then I hear another phone, like another people talking through the phone and it's 911 and they're asking location and all of that. And she's just screaming. I mean, completely out of it and confused and scared and alone. And I mean, at that moment, I kind of figured out what happened without her even saying, she just kept saying, I can't see him, Logan, like I can't see your dad. And I remember just feeling like him slip away. You felt it? I felt it. Yeah. I was so close to my dad and I'm just, I don't know, something in me was like, he's gone. So I would be like you, I would throw myself in the water and like, Mm -hmm. not even think twice. Your mom honestly was thinking I have children. Right. And she was like, Mm -hmm. if I throw myself in, what's going to happen? And she's four eleven, tiny, 110 pounds. How is she going to save a 250 pound man? Well, the fact that she had the presence of mind to think about that is insane to me. That takes a lot of strength to me for your mom. But I can't even imagine. And I remember when I heard what had happened, everyone's just like, he was alone. He was with your mom. I mean, there's all these different stories. Oh, yeah. Trying to figure out what had happened. Mm -hmm. I mean, logically, you think about that, that obviously like she can't just throw herself in. But I thought I was thinking exactly what you said. I was like, that man is invincible. Like for him to be taken under, that must've been something unsurvivable, like not survivable. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Then they did a search for him, right? It was for three days. It was for about, yeah, like two days. It happened on Friday. They found him on Sunday, mid morning. Now tell me that beautiful story about when they found him though. So 
they found him probably so soon. And I'm so grateful. Like, I mean, cause two days ish is relatively quick compared to how long it usually takes for people to be found in those murky waters. And just because they could be taken off so easily, but there were so many teams that were put together for him. It was incredible. And the guy who found him, I'm blanking on his name, but he's the man who runs EquiSearch, who he has a beautiful story himself. You know, not beautiful, beautiful, tragic, but beautiful because he's making something out of it. But anyways, he located my father relatively close to the area, I believe, that he fell over and he was surrounded by dolphins, almost as if they were protecting him from other creatures from anything. It was honestly beautiful to hear that. And I've been a pretty obsessed with dolphins since. I mean, he was protected by angels, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, don't they say something about dolphins being like angels? I heard something about that. And Probably. I feel- and they're just so much like humans. And I felt like they sensed what had happened and yeah. that it was like, this person was not supposed to just be floating here Ugh. alone in the dark water. Like we gotta, you know, like, let's get together. Yeah. You already knowing that he had passed because you felt it right in your bones. You still have the hope, of course, I'm sure, but you kind of knew already. So when you got the news, were you numb? Were you immediately emotional? How did you react? What was your grief like immediately? I was numb because I had already known. So I was already kind of processing or trying to grasp it. I was honestly just trying to keep it together. And I'm a very like, if something makes me mad, I'm I'm mad. And something that came out of me during greeting was anger. And everyone was making me just so frustrated and annoyed because a lot of people were at our house. A lot of people are trying to help me. Great. And it was amazing, but I did not take it well. Too much. It was too much for me. And I came off so awful and I feel so bad, but you know, I had family. I yelled a few times. I'd said things that I shouldn't have said because everybody was hoping everybody was holding on. And I kind of looked at what they were saying as like a joke. I'm like, how could you even say he's floating on something out there? Like, no, like my mom watched him go under like there's, you know, and I'm just being logic minded, which is unusual because I'm usually like very emotionally minded. But I was just like, I don't feel him right now. I feel that he is not earth side anymore. And I feel like we just need to be locating his body. And then we need to be like, moving on from there and doing what he wants with that and celebrating his life, you know, like, so you were just pretty much pissed off because everyone's like, no, he's going to be okay. And you're like, guys, come on. Like, let's be real about this. Right. Right. Like, I don't mean to not hold on to hope and I don't mean to sound like a bitch, but like, I don't feel him anymore. And I want to start grieving him. And I want to start because it was almost like I wasn't allowed to feel sad over his death because it didn't actually happen yet. Right. But it did. Right. Right. And so like, I wanted to cry. I wanted to scream. I wanted to punch a wall because he died, but everybody's like, just hold on hope Logan, you know, and that's just nothing anyone ever that's grieving ever wants to hear, whether you're grieving a loved one, whether you're grieving over disease, whether you're grieving over a breakup, nobody wants to hear things like that. Yeah, of course. Of course. So when you did get the news and you were able to start grieving, you gave a beautiful eulogy, by the way. You really did. Your whole family looked absolutely gorgeous. I don't know how, but you guys just looked strong, united, put together. It was a beautiful service. So after you got through that, people come into the house to pay their respects and bringing gifts and probably food and all that. After Mm -hmm. all of that died down, you and I have talked about this a little bit, but how did you start to cope with your grief? So unfortunately, I, I immediately started to turn into things that would numb me. I did not like feeling the way I felt. It was unreal. And like, obviously now I still am having a hard time facing it. And it, I would do anything to just stop crying and to just stop playing the image in my head that my yeah. mom had given me of him. Because I mean, it was just haunting and I didn't want to feel angry. I just didn't want to feel. So I definitely started drinking heavily, which I'd never been a drinker, really. I barely drank even in college. I would go to parties, but I just never was a drinker. And then all of a sudden, that was the one thing I wanted to do. It made me feel better. It made me forget things. But then again, it didn't because it's depressant and it makes you feel worse the next day. And then it causes you to drink more. I learned that later on. It's an ugly cycle. So I started coping using substances and drinking to numb the pain. I did everything my dad would have been very upset with me 
for doing. I know like he raised me better than that. And he raised me to be stronger. Did you feel any anger directed at your dad? No, I didn't ever feel anger. I felt a lot of anger toward myself. And I felt a lot of guilt toward myself because we had been kind of headbutting in the days before and the weeks before, because I was in a really ugly relationship that was no good for me. It was very toxic. Everything in my life was kind of going down in my career, everything, because I was stuck in that relationship. And he was just kind of like, come on, Logan, like it's a dude, you know, like you're stronger than this. You're better than this. I raise you better. And I would just be the typical girl stuck in a situation like that. And like, no, I love him. You know, whatever. That's a story for a whole nother time, but just totally gaslighted, totally blind oh, yeah. to everything that was going on. And then I, so I felt guilty that I didn't spend more time with him and that I felt like this guy was more important than my relationship with my father. I just felt guilty. And I just really wish I would have known. Nobody knows. You can never predict something like that. But now I know like you just don't take time with your loved ones for granted because you never know and spend it with those who actually care about you and actually love you and actually want good for you. And that's what I'm trying to do with my life now. And so I don't have any more regrets like that and I can live my happiest life. But so you mentioned the the substances you mentioned kind of being depressed. Obviously that's, uh, I think that's pretty normal. Yeah. How did you come out of that? What happened? How long did this take? Like how long did that last? So that lasted June, July, August, September, October, November. So about like six months probably. And there was no sight of me stopping. I was miserable doing the drugs and the alcohol was not making me feel better, but it was distracting. It was a very good distraction, Yeah. but it was ruining a lot of other things in life and everything was just kind of going downhill. But so I was not going to stop. I was not planning on stopping no matter who asked me, but I found out I was pregnant late November. And that was the one thing I kept thinking, cause like, man, what's going to stop me? Nothing's going to stop me. Like, cause you know, you don't stop until you want to, yeah. you know, and I didn't want to, I, I didn't care if I passed away, you know, like I was being irrational and pretty dramatic, honestly, but I found out I was pregnant and I immediately reevaluated everything I was doing, all the behavior I was condoning and being a part of. And I got out of it. I stopped. I got out of that toxic relationship finally, because I wasn't going to leave that one either. And it kind of hit me that I was like, well, it's one thing if this man is treating me like this and abusing me like this, but it's another if he does that to my child, especially if she's unborn or because I didn't know if she's a boy or a girl, but I was like, not even going to take the chance. Baby is a miracle. I feel like a gift from my father to start over, to get my shit together. And I'm taking it and running with it. And I'm going to do the best I can with that. I'm going to, this is my new purpose. This is what I was meant to do. Because my dad was always, he was my direction. I lost my direction when he was gone. He signed me up for my college classes. I mean, picked the classes even. I mean, he made all the decisions in my life mostly. Yeah. And so I feel like it was him, you know, handpicking, giving me Charlie being like, look, here's your next adventure. Yes. Go with this and see what you can do with this. And then ironically, Charlie comes out looking straight up like your dad. Yes. Straight she up. Does, she does look a lot like him. And she definitely has the squinty eyes when she smiles and the big face. Yes. And the great personality. Like just a, such a fun baby to be around. I mean, I can't even complain. Like yeah, I was saying she's a handful earlier, but really, I mean, it was because she was crying because she'd been playing by herself for an hour. I mean, one-year-old plays by themselves for an hour. I don't know. And I'm over here like, I got to get more things done. But I'm like, no, you're fine. (laughs) No, but you're a relatively young mother, I would say. And was there ever a time where you debated keeping Charlie? Like when you first found out, did you debate on that? Okay, definitely. Yeah. Mostly because the only reason I would ever not keep her would be if I knew I had caused some serious and detrimental damage to her and her health and her well-being because of my activities, because I had no idea for a while and I was doing God knows what. And so I was very concerned about that. But other than that, I knew I could not just do because I wasn't ready or because I was like, I can't allow another death this year. Like I cannot handle it. I'm already suffering from this one. Do you really think I will survive getting rid of a babe? Like, no, I can't. Right. Never. The only thing was if the doctor was like, your baby is might not make it full term because you did some serious damage or 
So that was the only reason considering it. But from the moment, you know, I heard her heartbeat at the doctor, I realized that like my life was going to be changed and for Mm -hmm. the good. And I finally felt excited for the future instead of just so fearful. What a relief. It was so relieving. So would you say that Charlie saved your life? Yes, 100%. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. And I completely agree with you that that's a gift from your dad, for sure. Like he was involved somehow. He was like up there with God. He was like, listen, come over here. We got to talk. Yep, exactly. Well, and it's crazy because we had a talk the night before because he was lecturing me. And I really haven't told a lot of people this because I was pretty ashamed that I was behaving to the point where he had to sit me down and have a lecture at 25, 26. And he's like, Logan, I don't know what to tell you anymore. You are making decisions and going down a path. I don't know what to say anymore. I feel like I've said everything I said. I could do everything I do. He's like, it's going to have to be something big. It's going to have that. It's going to change your life. He's like, other than that, I don't know. It has to be something big. And I can't remember him saying that. And then when he passed, I thought, okay, well, maybe that's what it was. Because it, literally the next day, hours later, he passed away. Jeez. But no, I, I just plummeted. I was way worse than I ever was. But then when I found out I was pregnant, I was like, this is it. And he gave me this. Like, this was the one big thing. How did you pick the name Charlie Bell? How did you pick it? So Charlie is after Charles, because my dad's name is Charles. So Charlie And I love unisex names. And then Belle took a while. I could not pick a middle name to save my life. I wanted it to be kind of girly because her name would be Charlie Reed, which is my grandfather's name as well. So I was like, we need something, you know, to kind of make it girly. And I love Southern, you know, we're from the South. I grew up in the South. So I was like, I want it to be Southern. I want to kind of have a twang to it. Yeah. And it just popped up in my head one day and I was bartending and I was pregnant and it was during COVID. So I was doing miscellaneous things here and there to yeah. make some money. I was serving one day and the guy was asking me and I wrote down all the middle names I was considering. And then you were like, Bell, that's the one. And then I was like, okay, I'm going for it. Finally, I'm making Good. a damn decision. Good. I love it. It fits her perfectly. It does. She is definitely a Charlie. How did your mom handle both her grief and then what you were going through with your grief? It's kind of difficult. I mean, we definitely are not through our grief yet. We're both grieving. There's multiple stages and it never ends because grief is lasts as long as love does because the love is gone. And so what's in its place is grief. So I'd say we handled it a little differently. She's a very like busybody. Like I'm not going to stop moving. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to, I'm not going to sit down. I'm not going to be where anywhere it's quiet. So she kind of started just like head diving into like, hanging out with friends, just staying active, being busybody. And I'm more of like a sulk. Like mm-hmm. if I'm going to do a distraction, it's going to go in the wrong direction. Right. So I knew, especially once I was pregnant, I sat down and I just sat with myself. But anyway, she took it hard. It was hard for her to handle. I'm very much like my father. So I don't think she really knew what to do. And to this yeah. day, she's just the biggest supporter. She's just like, whatever you need, I will do it. Like, I don't know what you need and I don't know how to help you because she's like, you're right. It was my husband and it was your father. They're different in a sense. And he meant something to you and he meant something to me, but they're different in each way. She's like, but I am here for you and whatever you need, like you need to go away. You need to trap, like whatever you need, I'm here. And so That's basically how she's helped and supported me during my grief, which is incredible and amazing. And I wouldn't be here without her. How did she react to the news of your pregnancy? She, so I cried and I was just bawling and she was like, Logan, we can do this. She's like, we got this. Oh, that's awesome. I know. Cause I was so scared. I bet. (laughs) I was like, she's going to kill me. She's going to be like, this is just what we need, Logan, you know? Right. And she was so supportive. She's like, Logan, just let's look at this as a gift. Like, you know, it'll be beautiful. We got this. We can do it. She's like, I'm going to be there for you every step of the way. And she has. And I mean, that's a huge reason. I mean, being a single mom has really not been terrible for me because I feel like I'm not a single other than like the, not the romantic side or a male in the picture, but I have so much support around me that, I mean, I have even better than what I would have. if I just had a man helping me out. Honestly, right. So, right. 
Is Charlie's dad in the picture at all? Or we get along and we're cordial yeah. and yeah. we grew up, we're not we're friends. Yeah. He is definitely not very, not very present. present. No. Okay. Yeah. But you're cordial. And yeah, yeah. In the very beginning, I kind of was down and I was upset and I was angry even because I couldn't wrap my head around why or how somebody couldn't want to be in their child's life. Of course. It just didn't make sense. But then I got a different view on it, a different perspective. And I thought it's probably easier for guys. I don't want to offend any guys, especially since he didn't know like the whole pregnancy, really. It's easier to just kind of detach. Yeah, I think so. And also I realized like upsetting myself over it and being angry or having strife with him does nothing for Charlie's well-being at all. And that is my main goal is to her have a good life, be healthy and to be angry at somebody for something like that when I'm doing just fine on my own is pointless. Right. It's a waste of energy. So that's amazing that you realize that because you're right. It literally does no one any good. Yeah. Because at times I have like totally lost it and just lashed out. I don't even feel better afterward. I just feel like that was pointless. It makes you more Mm -hmm. sad. (laughs) Yeah. Because it it sucks feeling angry. I hate the feeling of anger. That and like guilt are the worst feelings to have in your body and to hold. They are so, they eat you alive. You know, Mm -hmm. they just don't make you feel like you're human. And so I hate that. I So every time I feel angry, especially when it involves Charlie and somebody in her life, I'm like, okay. Yeah. Is this really necessary? Do I need to be feeling this? Yes. Yes. Tell me, since you did have Charlie, I know we said that your life changed. She essentially saved your life. But tell me how your life did change when she was born. I mean, tell me that experience. So I was very lost before I had her. I felt like I had no self-esteem. I had no direction. I had no purpose. I felt worthless. And then when I found out I was pregnant and I finally got out of that relationship, I moved back home. So I was back at home again in my mid twenties. So I was just kind of beating myself up. But then the day I had her and the way I delivered and all that, I'm like, it happened so quick. I mean, it was weird because I was a first time mom and I was in active labor most of the time at home. And then I got there and I had her in like two hours. Wow. It, I mean, it was fast and it was excruciating. Cause you missed the epidural, right? I suppose I got it right before. Okay. Okay. Right before, but I was completely dilated and my water broke on its own and everything. Oh my God. I know they kept looking at me like, what are your secrets? Like, how is this going so quickly? And I was like, I don't know. And of course I have to have a mask on cause it's COVID. And yes. um, I was like, Mm-mm. could you have anyone with you? Could you have your mom or anyone? I could have one person and I had my mom. Okay. And I kept looking at her going, mom, I can't do this. I can't do this. And she's like, well, Logan, you're going to have to. (laughs) She's like, you don't have a choice. That baby is coming now. (laughs) But after all that and just giving birth in general, I mean, it is the most empowering, magical and superhuman feeling. I mean, I remember like I had an epidural, so my legs didn't really work, but I felt like a badass bitch. Like I was ready to walk around there like, you need to calm down. But I'm like, no, I'm invincible. (laughs) You know, like you just feel like such a bad bitch. And it just changed from there. Like my confidence. And I feel like it was buried in me all along. Like it wasn't just that that gave me confidence, but it was what really sparked my, you can do like what my dad has always fed me. And what I forgot is like, I can do anything I set my mind to and I'm a badass. That's it. And that really, really changed everything from there. And then just the weeks following and then just winging it. I mean, I was winging motherhood. I had no <laughs> idea. My mom, every time I asked her a question, she's like, I don't know, Logan, that was 25 years ago. I'm like, well, thanks for the hell. But besides Googling things daily, I mean, the most ridiculous things I Googled and besides just worrying, is she going to be okay? I never felt so confident in my ability to do something yeah. and feeling like I was doing it right. And knowing awesome. that I was the best I could be. And I was the best version of myself every day, even though I wore PJs every day and I looked like my hair is in bun. I look like hell. I was like, (laughs) I am beautiful. I am capable. I'm amazing. And so is this little girl. And I am never going to say that like anything else to myself. I'm never going to look in the mirror, especially if she's around and be like, Oh, like my hips are too big. Cause (laughs) what is she going to do? You know, she's going to do the same thing. She's going to learn those, especially just having a daughter. It's just changed everything. It's made me really view myself differently, be more generous to myself and more compassionate. Oh, amazing. And especially toward other women. Like I've always been about women empowerment and being there for other women. 
but I struggled growing up being bullied by women a lot. Mm -hmm. And I was hard to find girlfriends. It was hard to find good girlfriends. I didn't lie and gossip and it was rough. So I just kind of gave up at times, you know, I just was like, well, I just won't have girlfriends. But then after having Charlie, I was like, I connected with a lot of mothers and I just became a whole different woman. Yeah, that's amazing. You know what? I had a similar experience, obviously not through motherhood, but I always felt more close to men because I felt like a weird vibe from other Mm -hmm. women. But Mm -hmm. I think it was just I didn't know how to connect with them. And now that I figured that out, Mm -hmm. which is by being vulnerable. Yes, that's how I connect with them. That's what I was going to say. Yep. Before I would just like play it off. Like I had everything. Like, that's why this podcast is called the luxury dropout. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, let me buy this Gucci belt and like, right. I'll be fine. Like, but yep. really what does the Gucci belt do? It's been literally hanging in my closet and I haven't even worn it, but all of the stuff that I've learned, all the studying that I've done on my online psychology <laughs> degree from Instagram that I've received has really helped me a lot. And like a lot of the stuff that I share really resonates with a lot of women. And they're like, I'm literally going through this right now. Even today, like some guy commented on my picture and he was like, your body is not sexy. You need to go do cardio. And I like screenshotted it and I posted it. Normally I would have been like embarrassed, deleted it, Delete. like, <laughs> yeah. but I literally just like, I screenshotted it and posted it. And like all these girls were like, oh my gosh, like, that's so horrible. Are you okay? I'm like, I'm honestly fine. I said, if a woman would have said this to me, maybe I would have been a little bit more, upset. <laughs> a little bit more buttered, <laughs> but like, it's a dude and he has no pictures. Like I'm okay. Yeah, he's just a troll who has no life. Exactly. And of course, Mm -hmm. like I told you, I always think about your dad. Like, don't let anyone tell you how you feel about yourself. Exactly. Right? Yep. Mm -hmm. So when did you decide? I know you were working those odd jobs or whatever, you know, just to have some income when you were pregnant. When did you decide to venture out on your own and find a career that you could do, build a career from home? When did you decide to do that? So it just kind of fell into my lap, but at a right time. So I was getting burnt out. I started bartending three weeks after Charlie was born because I was financially doing this all on my own. Yeah. And I did, I picked that job and in that restaurant because I would only work from 4.30 till midnight, two in the morning, whatever. But, and those were the times that my mom was available to watch Charlie. I was burnt out so quickly. So by about March this year, I was like, enough is enough. I can't do this anymore. I'm dying. I got to do something else. I want to have more energy and time for my daughter and for me and to be healthy mentally, physically. So I'd been connecting with this girl on social media and she was telling me what she does and how she utilizes and monetizes her social media and gets to work from home and stay with her baby girl. And I was like, okay, so I think we met for a reason because she lives in Arizona. So I was like, this doesn't just happen, you know? And so we started connecting. She told me a little bit more and more. And I finally was like, okay, you know what? Let's do it. And yes, so I work for a, I partnered with a company that is like anti-aging, vegan hair and skincare and wellness. And it's really great because the products themselves and they're awesome and they're amazing and they're safe and they're vegan, cruelty-free. And it's really cool to just be behind a product that you actually believe in because I've had many jobs where like I was miserable. I did not even believe in the things I was selling. (laughs) And so it's amazing. I can do that. And I'm also at home. I'm with Charlie and I can also help other girls do the same other moms, especially that was like my goal. That's why I kind of pulled the trigger. Cause I was like, if this works out for me, I can make it work out for others because I'm not social media savvy. I'm not this and that. So I was like, if I can actually do, and I have, I've been successful and because it's really a business that you can't not be successful in unless you just don't try and that you give up because that's the only way it's just, just the only way. And so I love that I'm able to help others. I can guide them, you know, toward a more financial free, more time free lifestyle, especially other moms who are experiencing not wanting to be away from their babies because it's the hardest thing ever to live. I them know. Behind, so. <laughs> oh, I bet. So she introduced you to this company. You tried the products first and then you loved them. And then you decided, yes, this is something mm-hmm. I want to do. Yes. And how did you start? Like, I know you're not social media savvy. So Did your friend give you pointers on what to do or did you Google or how did you find out what to do? So I immediately, like once I joined, I was put into groups of like uh, 
telegram, you know, groups with other girls that were on my team and a part of this. And it was really cool because it wasn't like a competitive environment. It's a very like, you can do this. Let's go girl. Here's tips. Like girls were giving me content in the beginning to post. I could learn. And then they would send me videos teaching me how to create content how to post, how to engage. They give you all the tips and that's for free. Like it's free. And I was like, this is great because now I can really sell anything I want. Like I could do anything else on the side as well, because I'm learning so much. Like I should have done this instead of paid so much money going to college, you know, cause I'm, <laughs> this is all for free and it's great, great advice. So yeah, I got taught by a bunch of girls. They helped me with everything. We learned from a few like people who do Zoom calls and stuff that are sales specialists and stuff. Yeah. That's really cool. That's offered for free as well. And then I just kind of playing around. And now that I had the time to kind of sit and be present and not just rush around and sleep whenever I could, <laughs> yeah. I was actually able to get on and really play around with social media and all of its benefits and all the things that you can utilize it for business purposes. You've been doing really well. Like I've been loving oh, your thank posts. You. Yeah. You've oh, been doing thanks. awesome. I try. So the products that you sell, it's considered to be multi-level marketing, right? Right. So what do you say to those people? There's some people that make fun of it. There's some people that say it's like shitty products. Like Mm -hmm. there's all this like controversy. What do you say to like sway their opinion the other way? Do you try or do you just like, hey, if you don't want it, you don't want it. So I'm kind of in between. So like if they say that's something completely absurd, right? Like if they have an objection, so to speak, that's absurd and untrue, false, like I'm going to obviously give them the true info and then they can take it or leave it. But I'm not going to let you just say that when it's untrue and then walk away still believing that that's true. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. It just depends on what they say, you know, like, oh, so-and-so said it made their hair fall. And I'm like, well, is my hair falling out? Yeah. Clearly it's here and it's a lot. Yeah. And I don't ever even do anything to it other than use the prop, you know, and I'm like, I'm just, you know, things like that. And I give other reasons too, but it just kind of depends on what they say back because I don't want anybody to leave still believing something negative or false. Right. And I'm very blunt and I'm very honest. I mean, there are products on the line that I don't personally like, and I will tell you, and I will not recommend them, but they do work for like Susan over here or Mm -hmm. so-and-so over there, but they don't work for me. And I will be honest, like totally honest. Yeah. And that's why I joined because I actually did love probably 95% of their products. And the other 5% are either because they're for curly haired girls or something, or it just didn't work for me. Right. And that's fine. Yeah, of course. I liked that about it, but- I don't think there's any beauty line where I can literally say I love every product. Oh, I know. Mm-hmm. Without lying to yourself. Well, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, like, I love this. No, I don't really think. Yeah. You're like, it's making me break out, but I love it. Right. right? <laughs> it's like, you must be getting a really good commission on that. Right. Exactly. Utilizing you, that to you break out. So you've seen success and people have been supporting you, obviously, which is great. Do you see yourself doing something else as well to supplement that income? Or do you see yourself focusing on this for the near future? I see myself kind of what my dad did. I am definitely somebody who I love different avenues of income. Mm -hmm. Great about this company is you do get paid in different ways and for different ways. So that's pretty cool. So it already kind of feels like you have multiple incomes, right? But I definitely want to dive into other things, especially once I have a child care for Charlie, I could do, I've been really interested in, it's just taking a while to get the in-person training done, but ISR, I don't know if you've ever heard of it. What is that? Infant self-rescue. So basically what you are is you're teaching babies, like as young as six months and older, how to survive if they were to fall into a body of water. And I put Charlie in it for a while too. And I remember I was sitting there at a practice one day and I was like, why am I not doing this? Why am I not teaching. Cause I've done swim lessons my entire life. I mean, I've taught so many kids how to swim. I was a swim coach. I swam myself and I'm like, why am I not doing this? Because for one, I'd be making a good income, a side income. I could do it on my own schedule because you're an independent person. It's your business. I could do it in my backyard in the pool. And I'd be saving and preventing another child from drowning, which is yeah. something very near and dear to my heart Yeah, because I just feel like it should not happen. And it's awful and heartbreaking. And especially in our area with so much water, so many people with pools being on boats. I'm like, 
this needs to be something people take serious and put their kids in. I mean, maybe you don't have to do it when they're six months if you're unsure, but at least if you have a pointer backyard by the time they're one or so, but so I've been wanting to do that too. As That's on the really side. fantastic. I've never even yeah. heard of that. If you watch videos, it's kind of scary. Like a lot of moms I've talked to about it are like, oh, never. I would never be able to put my son or daughter in there because it's kind of scary because they're kind of like crying and they're upset and yeah. they're struggling in the water, but you know, they're okay. There's an instructor with them and they're teaching them. And I was like, I would rather, cause it's only 10 minutes every day. Your child is yeah. in the pool for 10 minutes. Yeah. I was like, I would rather be, feel really heartbroken and sad that my child is crying and screaming in the pool because she's not wanting to be doing that than being heartbroken for life because of some tragedy that happened when it could be prevented because Babies are adaptable and they're really smart. And it's crazy how fast she learned to actually flip over and float on her back. And, you know, that's all she needs. And then just scream for help because they're so buoyant. You know, babies are chubby. And yeah, yeah, buoyant. yeah. Wow. That's fascinating. And actually like a little bit of a nod to your dad too. So I think that's really fantastic. And I hope yeah. that you do that and please keep me posted on that. Cause I really I will wanna, I want to learn sure. more about it. Cause I want, I actually want to tell my sister about it. My nephew, he's he'll be three in November. Okay. So he's been taking swim lessons, but he didn't do that. Like a survival. survival. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think he would know what to do, like to turn on his back like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I feel like what they teach you in swim lessons are significantly different because when they're in swim lessons, you're taught to like blow out when you hit the wall, you know, all these different things when you're trying to survive, the last thing you do is let out air because when you're underwater and you let out your air, you know, you almost have to come up immediately. It's hard to hold your breath after you let it out. Yes. So they teach kind of separate things because one's survival and one's kind of for fun and for play Mm -hmm. so that you can play with your friends in the pool and just have a good time. And the other one's like, this is what happens if you fall in water and they teach the babies with their clothes fully on and their shoes. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's realistic. Yeah. All likelihood. That's probably what would happen. It's Mm -hmm. funny when my sister was like, eight months pregnant, her dog fell in the pool and doesn't know how to swim. So she jumped in the pool, fully clothed, eight months pregnant, shoes, everything. Oh my. And you remember that day I got in the accident? Yes. It was the same day. Are you serious? Yeah. So my mom was like, what is going on with you guys? Yeah. How bizarre. She's like my children. Yeah, exactly. She's like, I need you to oh not. Yeah, I know. That's crazy. I'm so sorry about that accident. Oh, by the thank way, you. that's, that was terrible. Ugh, it's such a pain in my ass. I know. In the pain. I can't even. Yeah. Cause I was in Cabo the week after. Yeah. And I even told my mom, I was like, we need to kind of be iffy about the, you know, like the taxis we use around here. I yes. was like, one of my friends just got in a serious accident, like had to go to the hospital and everything. I was like, what would we do if, yeah, where do you go? I wouldn't even know what to do. They were like, which hospital do you want to get to? I'm like, I don't fucking know. You're like, I'm coming from the airport. Like, just bring my luggage. Just make sure you take me wherever, but bring my luggage. Yeah. And my shit was all in, still in the truck and like all my passport, my money, like everything. Terrifying. All I had was my phone. That's all I had. And I was like on my FaceTime, like on WhatsApp with my parents. And they were like, I was strapped to the gurney and like had my parents just like here on my chest. Really probably gave them a heart attack. They actually had like a PTSD reaction to it where at first they were like scared and whatever. And then like, not the day after, but the day after that, my mom had like this weird meltdown and got super fucking mad at me and didn't talk to me for a day. And I was like, and you're like, I'm over here suffering. (laughs) I was like, I almost died. Like, are you not going to talk to me? Like, why are you mad? And she like, wouldn't answer me. And of course, when my mom doesn't answer me, I have like small panic attack. Like I'm like, yeah. mom, like you have to answer me. Like I'm your child. So she ended up explaining later that she actually had had a PTSD reaction and it just came out as anger. Yeah. And it wasn't towards I, I me. Relate to that. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. Right. Exactly. You know how to handle it. Yeah. yeah. So That's terrifying. I can't yeah. even imagine. But imagine me, like I couldn't go back home because my foot was sliced open. My back was fucked up. Like I couldn't leave. I was stuck. I was pretty much alone. Like all I wanted to do was talk to my mommy and like, she wouldn't answer. Yeah, And then she's like, screw you. You're like, she's like, what are you even doing there? Are you on a romantic vacation? I was like, yeah, there's a dude here, but like with myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, (laughs) there was a dude there that I saw, but like, he wasn't the sole reason why I went. 
feel like mom, it's Mexico. Yeah. I don't have to have an excuse. Yeah. Also, like <laughs> I'm in my mid thirties. Like I will do what I want. Are you going to ever let me do what I want to do? <laughs> but, probably you know, not. No, probably never to be no. honest. No. It's just a parent. I'm not allowed to get tattoos. My mom told me, she's like, if you get one when I'm dead, I will come back from the grave and I'll oh haunt you. God, that's terrifying. She literally checks my body for tattoos, like still. What if it's a memory of you? What would she do? I don't know. They probably still haunt you. <laughs> she probably hate it more. She's yeah. like, you got a tattoo of me? But you know I hate, you, I hate it. it? Yeah, she's <laughs> yeah. like, no. But I love tattoos. Like my best friend is literally like covered in tattoos and mm-hmm. she treats her like one of our sisters and I'm like, well, mom, Christy has tattoos. Exactly. And she's like, it's just how it is. She's like, well, I didn't meet her until she had all those. So I couldn't say anything. And I was like, <laughs> right. oh, well, okay, fine. <laughs> so yeah. I guess I'll just be like 50 and totally unable to make my own adult decisions. But, oh, you know, I'm to, sure you. no, I know. But to be fair, I love my parents. They take really good care of me. I can't complain. I'll probably be the same type of parent, though, to be honest. I'm yeah. like, I'm going to be a cool mom. And then I'm going to be like, no, you're not allowed to do this or allowed to do that or allowed. And then well, she's now, gonna be like, like mom. Now you understand why mm-hmm. your dad had those talks with you about mm-hmm. getting your shit together because he loved you and he wanted you to like snap out of it. Yeah. He was very protective and I was very, oh. But you know what? When you're like with a narcissistic boyfriend, like that's so hard to get out of that cycle of abuse because you have those like super high highs and the yep. super low lows and it's like addictive. Yep. It was so addicting. I totally understand. Yeah. I got out of all my friendships, left my job. I was like, what am I doing? Being a full-time girlfriend or something to a guy who doesn't even talk to me every other day. Yeah. So dumb. Yeah. And then it's like, you almost blame yourself for them not talking to you. I was like, I have to make this right. I was like, if only I could be prettier, if only I could be better, if only I listened more, if only I didn't complain, if only I cooked really good, if only, and I would do all those things. Like I was Mm -hmm. the perfect, like talk about wife material, made myself and built myself into a wife material. But then I went like, I lost myself at the same time because that was not who I was and who I was meant to be. And it wasn't natural and it was trying too hard. And then it pushes them more. And then you're chasing after him like a savage. But then the second that you like try to block them off or say no, then they come charging after you. Full blown stalker mode. I mean, like stalking you until. Baby, I love you. What do you mean? I didn't. Let's just go get married. Yeah, let's go get married. Let's get engaged. Let's have a baby. Let's have babies. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's it. That's the (laughs) one. We've dated the same guy. (laughs) That sounds so reasonable. Let's have a baby with this psycho. (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to have to listen to this podcast I just did with this guy, Leon Walker. He's Mm -hmm. a former narcissist. And we went through like every thing that you oh and I are gosh, talking that's about. Wild. Yeah. Like he's like diagnosed, oh like has done the work and then he'll go into character like on his TikTok. He has like a bunch of TikTok followers. I didn't even know, but he goes into character as a narcissist. Like I had to put a trigger warning on my video just in case people are triggered by that. But he even says like, he's older, he's like 55 or so. And so he's like, women are like, oh my God, you're triggering me. And he's like, I'm not trying to trigger you, but I am trying to get you to realize what's going on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I have never heard of a narcissist actually do work. Me neither. Like that's unheard of. Me neither, but he totally admits it. Yeah. He was like, I was addicted to porn. I was addicted to hurting women, not physically, but like mentally, yeah. like wanting them to suffer and like playing mm-hmm. games with them and playing like tell, games. Yeah. telling them I was going to like cheat on them. And then if they like went and got another guy after that, like I was like super upset and like questioning mm-hmm. why they would ever leave. And he really like just laid it out there. That's, I will have to listen to that. That's wild. Yeah. I put a little snippet of it online and people are like, where can I listen? I'm like, it's not launched yet. It's not launched. (laughs) It will be. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's awesome though. I'm proud of you for leaving because that's hard. It's really hard. And that's why, I mean, Charlie was like the only, that's where I pulled the strength to do it because I was not going to do it. I mean, he got like, especially after my dad passed, he got abusive and I still was just, you know, like, all struck by him. Like I thought we weren't dating. I was going to die. Like Uh I couldn't survive without him. Like I lived and breathed him. He literally was observing you to see like what you needed. And he would fill Mm -hmm. those holes just enough 
to keep you in. And then he would just like, like throw you out. And like what you were talking about the other day on, it's like the love bombing. I mean, that was like when we first met, it was like, he wants me to move in. He wants to get married. I'm the best thing in the world. Like I'm the most beautiful girl, like every day, every minute he's constantly sending the most perfect. Like, I mean, I knew I kept saying, when's the other shoe going to drop? Like I would always joke, like you're too good to be true. You're too perfect. And ironically, uh, the shoe did drop and it dropped really hard just a few short months later after I was wrapped around his finger. Oh, yeah. Like you were saying, like with the text, too late. perfectly curated text, like out of a fairy tale. Out of a, yes, like yeah. out of a novel. Yeah. I was like, this dude is unreal. Like, why am I just now finding him? And why isn't he married? Well, there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. And then I find out all of his exes, you know, suffer the same thing. And I'm like, oh. Oh, my God. Silly Logan. Oh, my God. No, you're not silly. You had to learn the lesson, right? I know. I am glad I learned. So I know future. Like I do not screw around with red frat because I did see some, but I was like, uh, you know, there's so much good like that. Surely that's not what that is. That's not a red flag. Like, yes. That's just a weird quirk. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And yeah. now I'm like, no, that's a red flag. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> yeah. I do the same thing. Like one red flag and I'm like, mm-hmm. I I'm like cut. Like, mm-hmm. right like you don't even have time to explain yourself. Like you're going to have to die and be reincarnated. Actually have another chance with me because it's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> good for you. Cause especially you not only have to protect you, you got to protect your daughter. Exactly. So have you been dating at all though? Or like trying? To um, I did briefly. I tried. Yeah. I just was not it's a lot. It's so much, especially to get older. It's just so much work. And especially with having Charlie. And I just felt like it was hard giving my attention to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And it was hard. I mean, cause it wasn't, you know, it wasn't her father. So it was difficult that transition, you know, and he's confused. Like, why doesn't she like hanging around me? Why isn't she act like she does with you to me? She doesn't like me. And I'm like, no, she just doesn't know men. She doesn't like guys in general because she's never around them. Yeah. Like, never. And it's hard to explain. And then I feel like I'm saying sorry, but I'm like, what am I saying sorry for? Like nothing to be sorry for. It was too much work. And I was like, I'm just going to put that on pause. I'll yeah. Again, time. And I'm just loving being single. Yeah. I think I would rather be peaceful and single any mm-hmm. day than yeah. be in a relationship that's stressful. Yes. And where you have to actually put, because relationships do require effort, but not to the point where it's like, it's all consuming. And I feel like, and you're constantly having to sit and work on it and work things through and figure things, you know, like you're just not meant to, yeah, it should, most of the time it clicks. And then, you know, you do work through your quirks and your flaws, but it shouldn't be as hard as some of the people that I've met. (laughs) So like as a young single mom, like what would you say to other young single moms who are say like they're saying to themselves, God, I need to find a husband. I'm lonely. I'm lonely. It's going to be too late. I'm going to be 30 and single. What do you say to those women? Well, you got to just sit back and you got to work on yourself. If you want a husband right now, like, cause you're going to want a husband material, but you got to make sure your wife material. Be what do you envision as a good wife? Be that girl, be that woman. What do you envision being a good wife, a good mom and be that girl and work on yourself and do inner work and fall in love with yourself and being single. And then you're ready to be in a relationship. But if you're just trying to get in a relationship because you're lonely, there's something going on internally. That's not because you need a man. That's because you need something done inside because you should not ever be lonely just because there's not a man there. Like, that has to do with something completely irrelevant to an actual physical being being there. Right. You know? And yeah. so I felt like the best thing to do and the safest thing to do for your well being and for your future and for your kids is to focus on you and focus on your kids. You don't have all the time in the world to be with them. You only get so many years and then they move out and they move away, like soak it up, enjoy it. And I feel like whenever you are at peace and you feel like you have done your inner work and it'll come. I just know it. I just feel it like the right guy will come. But the more you force in, the more you go out there and trying really hard, the more you're just going to fall in the laps of people that you don't belong in. I agree. hundred <laughs> percent mm-hmm. seal of approval on that one for me. I'm someone who doesn't have a kid, but I totally agree with it. <laughs> but regard, Yeah. That, even if you don't have a kid, I feel like women do that a lot. You know, you just feel lonely and you feel like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with this guy because he's available and I don't feel as lonely, but you're going to feel more lonely with those people. Yeah. They're going to leave you feeling like you're not only lonely, but you're just empty and depleted and exhausted. And 
it's going to take even more time to be ready for the next one or the next yeah. round, you know, to find somebody new. So yeah. And it takes that, that energy away from like, you have to put on a brave face for your family, for your kid. That takes yeah. a lot of energy. I know. Oh yeah. Oh so, yeah. And that's the imagine. most important thing to put your energy in. So, so what would you say? I know there's probably so many, but what would you say is like one of the most important life lessons that you still think about that your dad taught you? Well, I'd say the one that he repeated most when relatively in the end years of his life is because he was definitely a perfectionist. He was definitely involved in everything. He was very up, keep his image, his reputation. He's a huge people pleaser. He just was like, he loved and making people happy. And that can be kind of depleting, but, and he was always chasing the next like rank or the next advancement or the next, what could I do? And he was trying so fast and he eventually reached where he felt satisfied and where, like where he felt like, man, I, you know, I made it to the top of where I've saw myself going. Like, obviously there's never like a cutoff, but he's like, but now what? Like when he retired, like that was probably the most low I've ever seen him. He's meant to be working. He's meant to be continually doing things, but he felt like he just put so much in at such great speed that he didn't sit and enjoy life. Like Mm -hmm. it just passed by, like he was just so laser focused on these like uh, career goals Yeah, that he didn't actually just sit and enjoy the ride. And when I was growing up, he kind of raised me to be like that. But then whenever life started slowing down for him and he retired, it was constantly like, Logan, you have to do what makes you happy. Like no matter what it is, is he's like, if you're not happy in that job, then leave. He is like, life is way too short and there's no reason to be rushing through it because once you get there, like there's nowhere else to go. Like, what do you do? You know, like you just, and that really stuck with me. And that made me feel comfortable because there's so many times in life where I felt like, Oh, I should be here. I need to be here. And he'd just be like, Logan, just enjoy it. Like you're going to miss this time because you're going to be married and have kids. You're going to be busy. And you're going to be like, man, I wish I was, you know, I just graduated from college and I didn't have a job yet. And I was just kind of chilling. You're going to miss those times. You know, he's like, I know I miss those times. (laughs) Yeah, I do already. And I'm like, Oh, you know, but that's probably the biggest life lesson was just slow down and enjoy life because you really never know. And I really learned it from him ultimately because I lost him when I never thought I would at the time I did. And I just love and enjoy everybody around you. Be compassionate and be happy above all. Like do not let anyone make you unhappy. And if they are, get out of that situation. Yeah. Even toxic friendships. I mean, I've gotten rid of a lot of girlfriends. Unfortunately, that didn't serve me anymore. And oh yeah, we went different paths. And like sometimes I'm still cordial with them. Sometimes we don't talk at all. But it's just like they don't fit in right. my life anymore. So I totally completely agree. Mm-hmm. Yes. So here's a final question for you. I ask everybody this on my podcast. Okay. It might be difficult for you to answer this because knowing what you know now, it's you'll see. So basically. What my question is, is say you're walking down the street, you see 20 year old Logan walking towards you and you're like, oh my God, there's me 20 years old. I got to go talk to her. Right. So you go up, give her a big hug and you leave her embrace. And what is the one thing that you tell 20 year old Logan? Oh, girlfriend. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to make you. Don't be sorry. No, I just like sad. Um, I know. I know. I know. I would say stop giving yourself such a hard time. Like you don't need to be perfect. Mm -hmm. That's not even a thing. Love yourself who you are and whatnot. And then stop giving your dad such a hard time. Yeah. And you know what though? I bet you he's listening to this, no doubt, because I know 100%. Yeah. But I specifically know that he put you and me together. And I've told you that before because I think we connect really well, but I think that he would tell you that he wouldn't have changed anything that you did because that's what made him a dad. You know what I mean? Yeah. And a good dad. Yeah. Just like him. I'm like 100% him. And I know he probably did it when he was a kid too. So he's probably like, this is my karma. <laughs> yeah. Right. I know. I mean, sometimes he even be mad at you because you're acting like me, like you're hardheaded, stubborn, do what you want to do in a woman. And I was the same man kind of man, you know? Oh my God. <sighs> well, thank you so much thank for coming you on the so podcast. Much. You did an amazing job and I'm so honored that you came and you spoke about this really tough subject. This is hard stuff. So thank you for listening. 
Yeah, of course. Just know that like, I always want to honor your dad and I always want to honor you and his memory and your family. And I respect you guys a lot and know that no matter what in life, like you have a friend forever and I will always be here for you. So, so me too. So just let our listeners know how we can support you. So you can support me by going on my Instagram. That's probably my preferred way. Um, that's okay. basically where I've been working my business. Okay. It's just Logan Reed, R-E-E-D, and that's it. No numbers, no nothing. And I have a little link on there and you can click it and, or you could just directly message me, ask me anything about my business or just about me. And I'm an open book. If someone has gone through like a loss of a parent, would you be willing to speak with them? 100%. I have connected with a lot of people. I kind of like an awful joke, but it's like the grief club. You know, it's a club you don't ever want to be a part of. Ooh. But once you're in it, you are surrounded by people who understand it more than anybody else. So I'm open book for that. Awesome. Well, thank you again so much. Thank your mom. Thank you. Thank yeah. Charlie. Um, I know I hear her crying. She's probably like, where's my mom? I can't wait to hang out with you guys. Like, let me know when you're free so we can like plan a little it. day together and yes, go swimming or whatever it is. Heck yeah. She loves okay. swimming. So that's a, it's a date. Perfect. Okay. Well, I love you. I'll talk to I you love soon. love you. Thank you. Okay. Bye, 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 love. Bye. That is it for today's episode of The Luxury Dropout with Logan Reed. Logan, you are amazing. Thank you so much for being a guest today. Y'all, I hope you really enjoyed that and know how truly special it was to have Logan come on and talk about her grief like that in a way that is so raw and so real. It's probably cathartic in a lot of ways, but also extremely difficult to discuss things like this because in our mid-20s, that is just not something we're supposed to be dealing with yet early motherhood, you know, being a young mother and and still grieving and figuring out the ways to do things and supporting yourself and building a business and going against the naysayers. So I hope this podcast has empowered you, has made you feel strong. Please reach out to Logan. If you want to speak to her about beauty and skincare, if you want to talk to her about grief, if you want to talk to her about her dad, if you have any questions, like she said, she is an open book. And I would love to support her small business and I will myself, I do myself. And if you are watching on YouTube, I hope that you like comment and subscribe to this video. If you are streaming anywhere, please leave me a five-star review, but you know, we just love that you're here and that you're listening. So thank you so much for joining us on the luxury dropout. So until next time, I'm sending you love, stay well, and I will see you soon. That's a wrap for this episode of the luxury dropout. Make sure to visit stephaniejoplin.com to find all of Steph's episodes, including full podcast descriptions and photos of her guests. Until next time, besties.